So what do we do? Do we say hi first or do we just jump right in? What do, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, what, what do people do in this situation? Do we chit-chat or do we not chit-chat? This is the question of the hour. Well, we have a lot of stuff to talk about today, but I don't know. We, it feels like we should at least say, hey, how you doing? How was your day? I don't know. Well, the question is, do we care how the other person's day was? That's Well, I don't care. Maybe the listeners care, though. We have a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, let's start with you, Amy. What do you got for us? What are you bringing to the table for the Latchkey Kids, episode two? Okay. All right. So, in episode one, we spoke briefly about the innumerable hours of television we consumed, and movies, of course, television and movies, all of that. Uh, so, I wanted to talk about a couple of movies from the early 80s, and... You know, one is going to be a crowd a crowd favorite, uh, an all-time fave, probably for you and, and me and most of our listeners. But this is all under the umbrella of movies that traumatized little Amy. Are you ready for it? Trauma- so I'm thinking these must be like slasher films, you know, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, that sort of thing, right? Well, no. Um, however, you, I do recall you forcing me to... <laughs> Watched especially the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and those yes classics, but at a much younger age than that, little Amy. So first of all, let's start by saying little Amy was a little sensitive. Uh huh. Little sweet sensitive child. Little Amy was. So this is in the past. You're saying. Okay. Middle-aged white lady? Middle-aged white lady now. So, um, so the very first movie that was so traumatizing to me that I had nightmares for many, many months afterwards. I think it may have been the first movie that I actually saw in the movie theater. I don't know if that's true or not. It feels true. Mm-hmm. That was part of it. It was the whole overwhelming experience. Of what the was it? Theater. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of buildup. This is, uh, I'm taking you back, all the way back to 1982. Little Amy was six years old. 82, okay. 82. Do you have any guesses? Um, I'm, it wasn't Rocky Three. <laughs> no, great guess. That wasn't was one of the, it wasn't one of the Star Wars movies. Was it no. Empire Strikes Back? Well, that's not no. traumatizing. No. I don't know. I give up. Film. Extraterrestrial. That came out in 1982. Yes, I was. I thought. I thought that was like 85, 82, huh? That was traumatizing to you. Very much so, and I'll tell you why. Now, don't get me wrong. Is it because ET died? It's because of when ET and Elliot were dying. Yeah. Sick and dying, and and yeah. And ET gets all. He gets all white and pasty. White and pasty. Yeah. Yeah. Helicopters. Yeah. I mean, I was so upset because, of course, I loved. And then he died. 
Six years old is kind of young for to be probably to be going to the movies at all, really. I mean, that's pretty young. I was about that age when I saw Star Wars, which is I remember was the first movie I ever saw. Uh, and dad took me to see it in the movie theater. And it was a huge deal because, you know, it was Star Wars. But E.T., I mean, I had a completely different experience. I love that movie. And, and I will say, I knew beforehand, I had a spoiler alert, because we saw it a little bit late. My friends had already seen it. And so I already knew they were like, don't worry, bro. E.T. lives. It's cool, okay? <laughs> so I went into it. <laughs> I went into it with that knowledge, and I knew I was I, I was prepared. Evidently, I didn't tell you. <laughs> uh, I definitely did not get that memo. Thank you very much. Whoops! Probably should have filled you in on that. Maybe I sadistically wanted to see. <laughs> okay, see anything suffer. traumatizing in your childhood? I I probably had something to do with it, you either on purpose played. or inadvertently. Anyway, so I already I already knew that E.T. survived, and so I, I was less traumatized than you. It was—I can see where that would be traumatizing, though. It was quite shocking when E.T. E. was all sick. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, you know, also, I mean, shout out to so many wonderful elements. I mean, it's so, so, so very much our childhood. Just kids on their bikes. Yeah. parenting. Oh, yeah, suburbia. Suburbia, you know, so we could we could relate to all of that and great acting. I mean, a lovely story, uh, you know, I, just that, such a that movie show. still I, I watched it a few years ago. And well, a fun fact. Did you know there's probably there's a good reason why that movie strikes a chord for you and I who grew up in suburban Metro Phoenix. Steven Spielberg was from Phoenix. Did you know that Ooh, he yeah, he also. <laughs> Yes, he also grew up in suburban Phoenix, uh, and and that neighborhood where they lived in was like a subdivision that was modeled after the endless subdivisions and cul-de-sacs yeah. of the Metro Phoenix area. And California only, is kind of like that, too. Sure. You know? The only major difference between that neighborhood and our neighborhood is, as I recall— the neighborhood in the movie there were hills i remember wasn't yeah there a house up on a big hill i just can see the kids there were hills around there the yes mm -hmm. and are we it was flat where we <laughs> it was very, very well flat. there were mountains nearby sure. yeah sure. but yeah it was flat right we were in yeah in the valley part but the bikes and oh. and the and the, I mean, the latchkey kid kind of concept where the kids Big throughout time. the entire movie are pretty much on their own, you know? There are no parents. There's no parents, really. The fact that you can have an alien, you know, uh, being in your closet. And totally plausible. Your house, very plausible. <laughs> we could have definitely pulled that off, I think. In the I wished that we could. <laughs> I think I even remember hoarding some Reese's Pieces just in oh. case. Okay, so speaking of Reese's Pieces. Okay. Lay it on me. Wonderful film. Okay, so these come from, again, Mental Floss. was just killing it with our uh, our flashback fun facts about our, our 80s nostalgia. So Sean Hutchinson 
uh, wrote this article in 2016, and these are some amazing facts about E.T. So you mentioned the Reese's Pieces. Did you know that the original concept was that E.T.'s favorite candy was going to be M&M's? That makes sense. That would be more typical, right? But Mars, who are the makers of M&M's, they weren't down with it. They're like, Oh, no, big mistake. Big mistake. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. Wow, I hope that person got fired. <laughs> yeah, that was a, not, a, not a good choice. Uh, and so then they asked Hershey, uh, and they were thinking about Hershey's Kisses, which would not have been as cool. That's too much chocolate. Her. Yeah, that's... It's too much, and yeah. E.T.'s little e weird fingers, he would not have... He would have gotten sick those. eating that much chocolate. Also, how would he unwrap with the foil? Yeah, that they're a pain in the ass. And then you leave the foil, what, on the ground, <laughs> so now he's littering? <laughs> You can't have you can't be teaching kids that. So Hershey said, "Well, how about instead of the kisses, we have this new product we want to, you know, raise the exposure of. Their new creation was of course Reese's Pieces. So within 2 weeks of that film hitting the theaters, they had a 65% increase in profits on Reese's Pieces." Wow. Now that is some marketing right there. That was So it was a marketing tie-in. Yeah, uh, totally. Product placement. Little side note, my family refers to them as Reese's Pieces. Oh, boy. Do you guys, you guys don't do that? No. That's not a thing? That's not a universal? No, okay. that's not a thing. No, not Reese's no. Pieces? No, okay. no, 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 no. All right, um, fine. And so, additionally, I would like you to know, so, so you mentioned sort of the latchkeyness. Yeah. Uh, one of the concepts behind the movie for Steven Spielberg, he actually had all of these different smaller movie ideas. He really wanted to make kind of a smaller, more intimate film, but then there was all this pressure after Close Encounters. You, no, no, no. We need another big blockbuster. So uh -huh. what he ended up doing is he ended up putting together all these ideas that were supposed to be these smaller films. One of them was about kids uh, whose parents get divorced. So it was mm. this divorced parents concept, uh -huh. which is present in E.T. So yep. parents have just split up. Mom's all sad, and it's a whole thing, right? So that's mm. one of the things. And then there was another concept he had for what if at the end of Close Encounters, the alien doesn't return to the mothership? Then what happens? So oh. then that got brought in to E.T. So it was kind of this patchwork of all of these different ideas. Interesting. Different movies. Huh. Kind of interesting. And then the script. So the script was written by Melissa Matheson. And so typically with, you know, Hollywood scripts, they go through tons and tons of revisions. And in this particular case, the original first draft of the script of E.T. was the one that they shot. Really? That? Yeah. Ah, yeah. That's probably so rare in Hollywood. Spielberg said it was the best uh, first draft he's ever read. Like, it was... It was the winner. They shot wow. it, and they did a lot of, he gave a ton of feedback. They communicated like crazy during the process of writing it. And so just that first draft was like, yep, that's it. We're doing it. Nailing it on the first draft. That never happens in anything I ever do. <laughs> right? I usually, I take at least three drafts of anything. We're sure. probably going to record this podcast like five more at times. At least seven or eight times, and. <laughs> Any more fun facts? Yeah, a couple of casting things. So, of course, everyone loved little Drew Barrymore, right? Again, oh, yeah. She was also six years old. So she was actually the first kid who was cast in E.T. 
Um, and so she plays little Gertie, the little mm-hmm. sister, right? And so what Spielberg loved about her is she came into her audition with this super vivid imagination. She comes in as a six-year-old telling Steven Spielberg that she's actually a drummer in a really loud, menacing punk rock band. <laughs> like, she's just a trivial little... And know. wait, that was not true. <laughs> well, it might have been. I Maybe mean, it was. She, she was a bit raised by wolves, so she might have been doing that on the side, a little side hustle. <laughs> uh-huh. And then Henry Thomas, who gets cast as the, as the Elliot. star, as yeah. Elliot, mm-hmm. in his audition, they actually did not have him read from the script. They just said to him, and you can actually find this online. You can find it's on YouTube or whatever a little clip of this, of his audition tape. What they said to him was, there are federal agents who are trying to take your alien best friend away from you. You have to stop them. Like, what are you going to say to stop them from taking your, your best buddy alien away from you? And he, so he goes in this whole thing, and he starts crying. Wow. And he just kills it. And Spielberg's like, You're, you got it. You are, you are wow. Elliot. You are killing this. And, and that he's, you know, he's he's one of the rare like child actors, and Drew Barrymore too. They were both successful adult actors as well. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. kind of a rare thing, right? Yeah. And so, you know, ET such a such an interesting design of like what an alien might look like, right? He was so unique looking. So, how did they come up with that? So, one of the things that the designers wanted to do is they wanted to really make him empathetic. Like, and I think that's what we love about ET. Like, he's so. Yeah. You just are so drawn to him. He just seems so, you know, sweet and and adorable. And so one of the things they did was they studied photos of elderly people who lived during the Great Depression. And that was how they got some of his, like, body language and his little, you know, slumped shoulders and some of his whole kind of look was elderly people who lived during the Great Depression. Dust Bowl E.T., who knew? Okay. You know, I I have to say, though, I don't know about you. Have have you shown your kids or grandkids? Your grandkids are probably a bit young. Did you show your kids E.T. and what was their reaction? They, they, I think, thought it was okay. Yes. Same. Part of the thing is I, I find this with, you know, these, these kids these days. Everything is too slow for them. Yeah. Like, movies from our time were the pace was not what it is now. So they their attention span is like 2.5 seconds and they need explosions and yes. effects and all that. Animation stuff. and yeah. Yes. yes. So I think they're like uh, these kids is, this, is anything going to happen in this movie? It's a bit slow. So well, and one one of the reactions I got from from uh I don't remember which one of my kids it was. But you were talking about how they made E.T. look cute, and, and and I felt that way, too. I mean, his eyes are very expressive, and, you know, my, my kids, at least one of them, thought he was ugly and kind of scary and were put off by the way that he looks. Oh, and and I think that's just with the passage of 20 or 30 years of time and the way movie creatures are different now— E.T. doesn't translate as well in his appearance, I think. I, I don't, this is a theory I'm hastily putting together right now. Okay. But, yeah, my okay. kids thought he was ugly, and they didn't connect with him 
the way that we did. Not even close. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if other people have that um, experience as well. Because we didn't have the animation stuff that they had. Right. This is 1982. We had some animated movies. It was puppets. We had had puppets. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really important, though, that they were able to com- convey a lot through his hand motions. And so they actually hired a mime, Caprice Roth, who did just, she would come in like behind the puppet into the little hands and do his hand movements. Mm. So they were super expressive and yes. really like there was more acting involved with the hands than with his little stumpy body, right? Yeah. And then Spielberg actually did the voice parts while they were shooting. He would actually do E.T.'s lines. <laughs> really? And, and then this is really funny. They had several people who were involved in doing different voice parts of E.T. that all kind of came together. But the main one was a woman, Pat Welsh, who is not an actor, but Spielberg overheard her in a camera store. And she had this deep, raspy voice. And he's like, that's E.T., and he hired this woman out of just like off the street. No way. To play that, what kind of conversation is that? Hey, excuse me, ma'am. I don't mean to bother you, but you have a raspy, weird sounding, low, awful yeah. voice. Uh, do you want to be in a movie? You sound like an alien creature right. to me from another planet. Are you by chance a heavy smoker? <laughs> That's exactly what we're looking for. And if not, could you take that habit up real quickly? And yeah. And then someone who got cut from the film, someone you may have heard of, called Harrison Ford. What? Yeah, you, you know the scene where Elliot um, is all drunk because he, he gets drunk. Oh, yeah. School? I was going to bring that up. Yes. Yeah. He releases all the frogs from the science experiment because they're chloroforming the frogs. Oh, yeah. Dissection. So he releases them all. So there was a scene that got cut where Harrison Ford plays Elliot's principal, and he's reprimanding Elliot for releasing the frogs, and uh, that landed on the cutting room floor. Wow. I wonder why. I think they just were trying to tighten it up, maybe, but, you know, again, the pace was slow enough already. They probably could have just cut it. They cut Harrison Ford's cameo. Because, I mean, he was already a star at that point. He was already a big big star. He was in Star Wars. uh, That's incredible. Okay. visually iconic shot of that movie it's actually on the, the bikes over the moon yep the riding the actually that actually is a real shot other than et and elliot on the bike flying of course that that was put in after but the the shot of the low moon among the trees they spent months trying to find that actually in nature and they they actually shot that for real that's a real wow shot. do you know where was it in california no i don't know where i don't know where interesting Okay. And so you will be glad, my, my last fun fact about E.T., you will be glad to know that we did not get the sequel that had originally been planned. Are you ready for this nonsense? Thank goodness <laughs> this never happened. E.T. 2, Nocturnal Fears, which was meant to... <laughs> is this about puberty? <laughs> yes, it's about puberty. There it is. Uh, it was set to take place the summer after all of this happened. Where Elliot and his friends end up being abducted by a mutated race of ETs led by an <laughs> evil entity named Corel. 
Oh you my know. God, you're kidding me. Did, was that? Yeah. Oh boy. I'm not kidding you, and thank goodness everyone. Well, and you know, thought better of that. If if ET was made now, oh, and, and and if and. And if it was a huge hit like it was back then, and it was huge. I mean, it was it was a phenomenon like doesn't... I mean, the only thing now that you maybe could compare it to is like the Avengers movies. But I'm telling you, E.T. was bigger than that. It really was. And, and if it was made now, there definitely would have been many sequels because you just... It's a cash grab, of course, and that's just the way it is. So we definitely would have gotten E.T. Nocturnal Emissions or whatever it was. <laughs> And then there would have been a third one where E.T. E. becomes a lawyer. E.T. E. goes to high school. Right. E. hits a girlfriend. Right. Goes to the prom. Exactly. We would have had all that stuff. So, you know, Thank I God. eventually got through the trauma. By the time I had gotten through the trauma of E.T., it took probably a year or two of night, literal nightmares. Literal nightmares about E.T. dying. Wow. I, I don't know that I cared as much about Elliot being ill and possibly dying. I was very <laughs> upset about E.T. dying. Um, then we get to 1984 to the other traumatic moment of Amy's childhood in terms of her viewing habits. Now, this one will make a little more sense, probably. Uh, okay. As to, why, as to why this was a problem. Uh, this was a made-for-TV movie. Let's see if you remember it. 1984. Okay. People, do you recall The Burning Bed? Oh, my God. Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett. Let me, let me, let me, let me, uh, if I can just, rec I, this is my immediate recollection. Okay. She, she's, uh, her, she is married to an abusive husband. Yeah. I yep. mean, really, like, I remember this. It was very, pretty graphic that he, you know, he was an alcoholic, I believe. And he was yep. just very, like, verbally abusive and then physically abusive yes. over Many a period years. of years. Many and years, then, yep. And then, spoiler alert, she eventually has enough. And while he's sleeping in the bed, she pours gas all over the place and burns the house down. Yep. That's exactly right? what happens. Yeah, <laughs> that is. So, that is so, how, wait. So you were, like, eight <laughs> years old and you saw this movie? Are you serious? <laughs> um, and I just that scene of her, you know, pouring the gasoline and lighting the bed on fire, and he's in it, and then well, and all I, before that, he's like, I mean, he's hitting yeah, her, he's beating her right? up. I mean, it's really bad, you know. It was that based on a true story? It was. So, yeah, it had uh, to have been. It was. It was based actually. So there was a book written in 1980 by Faith McNulty. Um, about the real woman, Francine Hughes, who in 1977, and represent Michigan, oh. Danville, Michigan. Where's Dansville, Michigan? Uh, I think right it's now? down ar around Metro Detroit somewhere, I believe. Okay. So she had been abused by her husband for like 13 years, and she had had enough. Uh -huh. And she, this is what she did. And then, wow. what? if you recall this part, she. I think they had like two or three kids. She... Puts the kids in the car yeah. and goes immediately to the police station and turns herself in. Oh, I don't remember then, that part. And then the whole thing was the trial, right? Because she's you know, put on trial for this. And do you remember the outcome? No, I don't. Okay. So the outcome is she's found not guilty. Wow. Uh, based on temporary insanity. And this really was 
this watershed moment um, in society for uh, people really understanding domestic violence. Yeah, I remember that. I yeah, yeah no. Yeah, no, because I remember, and thank God, like, I mean, our, our childhood wasn't perfect, but we didn't have that, that you know, at, at, not really at all. Dead. No, no, we didn't have any of that. And, and I, and, you know, if you did in your childhood, I am, I'm sorry. Uh, I know a lot of people do. Back then, it was, uh, I, w- I wouldn't say it was accepted, but it was a lot different than it is now. And I, I don't know if it was more common, but it was just kind of. I think it maybe it was more accepted, you know, yeah. especially in like the legal system. I'm kind of surprised that this woman didn't go to prison for the rest of her life, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I do. Rem- I definitely remember that movie. I think it was a little bit traumatizing for me, too. Why the hell were you watching that? I have no idea. I should not have been even as I'm watching it now. And I think we must have watched it with our parents. We must have because it was on at night. Yeah. It was a big deal. It was NBC. It was, I don't know, maybe the first big made-for-TV movie. And yeah. And starring Farrah Fawcett. Like, it was a big deal. By the way, Farrah Fawcett is terrific in that movie. She Okay, so let me, let me give you a couple more facts about this. So, in 2016, uh, TV critic Matt Zoller Seitz wrote a book called TV the Book. <laughs> 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 and he names The Burning Bed the seventh greatest American TV movie of all time. And then I really, really like this quote. He says, the film was a landmark in terms of content depicting domestic violence as an unambiguous horror and a human rights violation. And he describes yeah. Farrah Fawcett's performance as one of the finest in the history of TV movies. And yeah, she was great. And and the, actually, the guy that played the husband was great, too, because he was yep. very scary. He was scary, and yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, totally inappropriate. Totally inappropriate. I don't understand. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I, I gotta say, Amy, I, I don't understand you, to this day. (laughs) You are a bit of a mystery to me. Sure. I, I totally get being traumatized by the burning bed. Uh, yes. It kind of reminds me of another. We we're not going to dive into this right now. Maybe we will in a future episode. But the day after, do you remember that made-for-TV movie? Maybe you didn't see it. It was about the nuclear holocaust. Oh boy! You know the the Russians and America launched the nuclear weapons. The whole world is you know. It was about what happens with radiation and everything after nuclear. It was very. It was horrific. Anyway. Uh, similar kind of experience. I can understand being traumatized by something like that, but come on, E.T. E.T. I know. I it's know. not that bad. I was, a, I was a little weirdo, and also I'm very much uh, an empath, right? So even as a small child, like big feelings, especially about other people and what they're going to like. So that was always just kind of baked in with me, and also mm. I was a little bit afraid of stuff. So another another movie, and I don't know, maybe our listeners will know, or maybe you'll know, there was another movie that was super traumatizing, but I don't know what it was, but I just remember it was probably a made-for-TV thing. It was about children being kidnapped out of their bedroom windows at night. <laughs> what? Yes. Are you so serious? listeners, please, if you know <laughs> what that was in the 80s, please oh. let me know. I for years thought I was going to be kidnapped out of my bedroom window. 
and you did not help. Oh, no. This, I know where this is, is going. Yeah, I know what you did. It's, it's time for you to confess and make amends, please. Wait, this isn't as bad as people might think right no. now. No, it's bad. It it's not bad. good. Uh, yeah, I should never have been allowed to be the babysitter in charge when mom and dad went. They went to the bar, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> they went to the, Not very often, but occasionally they would go. I don't know where they went. Maybe they weren't going to the bar. They were probably going to the Dirty Drummer in Mesa, Arizona, which is still there, by the way. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they would leave me ostensibly in charge. Um, and I would, Big you mistake. know. I was not very mature. So what I would do is Amy had to go to bed before I did. And so I would make her go to bed, which I relished the power of that. (laughs) You have to go to bed. I would think I was probably pretty mean about it. And you would go to bed and then I would wait 15, 20 minutes. And then I would go outside and I would sneak around to the back of the house where your bedroom window was. And I would slowly kind of scratch and make noise on the window to yeah. make you think that a monster or a murderer or whatever was trying to get into your room. Yeah. I thought it was well, hilarious. It was the kidnapper that I knew was coming. I was already <laughs> very worried about and upset. And oh, boy. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm starting to realize that this podcast, there's going to there's like an apology tour is what sure. it's probably going to turn into. Anyway, I, Amy, I am sorry. That okay. is All that right. was that was wrong. Hilarious, but wrong. <laughs> I would like our audience to know Aaron turned into a wonderful human being, so no. we need to cancel him based on his 80s babysitting behavior. That's pretty bad. I'm sorry. But I really am genuinely sorry that I did that. And uh, if you're a 12-year-old kid out there listening to this, don't torture your sister. You know, okay, well, maybe a, maybe a little bit. I wasn't behavior. I wasn't trying to mentally scar you. I don't know, maybe I was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, uh time are, is it Those are the movies. Those are the movies that Yeah. That's Amy. great. That's great. Oh, the Burning yeah. Bed and E.T. Were you also traumatized by like what? Like cocoon or like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Did the Golden Girls traumatize you too? Okay. Right. Time to take a break. And we're back. Welcome to the Latchkey Kids. I'm Aaron. And I'm Amy. I'm sure I say that I'm Amy. <laughs> I didn't know that was coming, but it happened. Good job, Nimrod. All right. <laughs> Speaking of traumatizing movies, um, when I, I don't know when the first Transformers movie came out, directed by Michael Bay, uh, I saw it and just, I don't know, bleh. I mean... It did not live up, did not live up to the hype. And then, I mean, the first one was, eh, I didn't even see the rest of them. There's like, I don't know, there's like nine of them now. I don't even know. Well, like uh, you said earlier, it's, you know, that money grab. Like, okay, if this makes some money, we'll just yeah. keep churning these bad boys out. Exactly. But that's what I wanted to talk about today. The Transformers toys. Oh, 
of the 1980s. I love the Transformers. And when I say love, I'm not talking past tense. I have a confession to make. I still buy and play with Transformers. On my desk behind me here, I have several of them up on the shelf. Maybe you can see them up there. I have like four or five of them up there. Yes, I posed them in little poses. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to talk about the Transformers. They're, of course, little toys. They originated in Japan, and then they were uh, either bought out or they were co-owned by Hasbro in America. And in the 1980s, there was a cartoon show of the Transformers, and they started marketing the toys. And they were... I mean, it was a phenomenon. They they were you couldn't even find them for a while. Yeah, they were so on, popular. Hold on. hold on, right there, the cartoon. Let me see if I have this right. I have in my mind Transformers more than meets the eye. Is that what it was? Transformers, robots in disguise. Ooh. They didn't I like really. That. I re- added the rolling you of the R. The tr- Not sure why. That was the Spanish version. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, they were they were they were super fun. I love these things and I'm I'm going to tell you why. I mean, not only was it an imagination thing with action figures, you know, cuz I had as you recall, Amy, I had a ton of Star Wars figures and I would I would my thing with them was I would use the entire living room and sometimes the entire house as like a tableau, like a you know, like the living room was one planet and my bedroom was the forest moon of Endor. And I would set these guys up on the dresser, the bed, the shelf, the kitchen counter, wherever. And they would fly around. And, you know, the, there was these vast distances and they would have battles and they would, you know, and in my imagination, that's exactly what it was. It was this huge tableau. And I did the same thing with the Transformers. And I just I really immersed myself in that. I still it's it's vivid in my mind and like I I almost have this feeling of like god I wish I wish my imagination was that crystal today you know I still I I still do use my imagination it hasn't You totally do. I hasn't grown cobwebs but I not like that I mean I was trans transported into a fantasy world. Yeah, I was transformed. I was transformed. <laughs> So there was that aspect of it, but there was also with the Transformers, and if you're not familiar, the toys are little robots, and you go chicka 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 chick, and you you can transform them into a car, a truck, a tank, an airplane, a helicopter. One of them was a gun, I remember. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So they transform into little, you know, things, and the transforming of them, it was actually like rather complicated and not easy to do. Um, and th- it, it was some fine motor movement of your fingers to be able to do it. Was and kind of like the Rubik's Cube where, like, the goal was to, yes. to do it faster and faster? Um, I didn't have that goal. Well, may- okay. yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, maybe a little okay. bit. I did get okay. faster at it, for sure. Okay. But But for me, and I think a lot of kids, it was busy work for nervous hands. You know, I have busy hands. I'm always... I'm always playing with something. When we're recording, I'm playing with the recorder. I have to stop myself because I'm always, I've got a bunch of little toys that I play. I have a Rubik's Cube. You know, things like that. 
are calming to me because my hands just can't stop moving. I've always been like this my entire life. And the transformer toys were perfect for me because I would just sit there and transform them over and over. Robot car, robot car, robot car. And pick up another one. Robot plane, robot plane. And I would and I and and like I said, I still do this to this day. And it's just calming. It's like um therapeutic, you know? It sure. just makes calms me down a little bit. Um, and here's a little fun fact on Transformers along those same lines. The film critic, uh, Richard Martin, uh, he compared them to a Rubik's Cube, and he said it helped children develop hand-eye coordination and spatial reasoning skills. But Hasbro kept quiet about that, believing that no self-respecting 10-year-old boy would bug his parents half to death to buy him an educational, educational toy. toy. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> so great. true. <laughs> Kind. That's exactly yeah. what I had no idea. I was learning spatial relations, nice. but but I was and and you know they also had. Um, you probably remember my deep obsession with these toys. They also had the GoBots. Do you remember the GoBots? Sure, the poor man's transformers. Poor man's transform the ones that mom and dad would buy, <laughs> because transformers were and are kind of expensive actually really? you know yeah they're well they have a lot of tiny little teeny pieces there's quite a lot of design that goes into them i can they see pretty cool they are still cool i'm here to tell you the movies may be hot garbage i don't know maybe you like them whatever but the toys are still very well made and they live up to my memory of them in the 1980s they're really neat i like them and if you want to I- if you want to subvert some education in, into your children, buy them some Transformers what toys. What parent doesn't? Right. I never, I never had any. I mean, I definitely remember you were so, so, so into it, and you would sometimes let me kind of play along with you with it. Uh, it definitely, I think, speaks to this is probably true throughout history, but especially in our childhood, the the genderedness of toys. Yeah. So those were boy toys. For sure. And yeah. And I had girl toys, and Nary shall the two meet. Like. You, well, they would occasionally. The Transformers would attack <laughs> Strawberry Shortcake, but that was rare. <laughs> right. So I, I mostly just kind of watched you, and I do remember the cartoon. I think. And then weren't there? Aren't there like two or three main ones that are? Yeah. Like Optimus Prime was Optimus the leader Prime. of the auto. Yeah. There was the Autobots and the Decepticons. The Autobots were the good guys. The Decepticons are the bad guys. Optimus Prime was this red semi-truck who was the leader of the Autobots. And the leader of the Decepticons, oh, my God, I forgot his name. Let's just call him Roger. There was Roger. (laughs) (laughs) I I honestly don't remember. I remember there was Starscream, who was an airplane. There was Shockwave. That was the gun one. Uh, sure. Probably, probably not a good idea to. <laughs> that I don't think you could do it. I don't. They probably don't make that one anymore. <laughs> I don't remember. Now I'm going to feel stupid. I don't remember what the leader of the Decepticons no, was. Whatever, it doesn't this matter. Is one of those moments where we get the audience. <laughs> yeah, they're shouting they're it out. Screaming. Yeah, they're right. They're in their cars. You idiot! You idiot! It's <laughs> Philip, not Roger. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, I'm going to look it up as soon as we're done here. But these toys, they came out in the mid-'80s, like 1985-ish, I think. They were so popular that, I mean, I begged mom and dad 
to buy these things for begged, begged, begged. They finally relented. But by the time they relented, you couldn't find the damn things anywhere. Like they were and they didn't have the Internet back then. Of course, you couldn't buy them on Amazon or eBay or anything. So, you know what I did? And you maybe you know, had this experience, too. I had to get on the phone and call around all over Mesa, <laughs> Chandler, Gilbert, Tempe, oh Scottsdale, even into even into Metro Phoenix a little bit. I love a recording of this. Oh, is- well, <laughs> I have this distinct memory. You're not going to believe this. This is a true story. OK. I was so desperate, I thought, okay, Sears. Sears has, don't they have a toy section? I think, I don't know. So I got, I had already tried Kmart, Toys R Us. Nobody had these Transformers. So I call Sears. I get this old grumpy old guy who answers the phone. Yeah, what do you want? I'm like, uh, uh, sir, uh, I was wondering if you have any Transformers. And I remember the guy was confused. He is, He assumed that I was asking about electrical transformers and he started asking me about voltage and stuff and i was like i don't know what you're talking about oh my god well just for you to have to make the phone call and talk to an adult yeah scary as a a kid you know not so much when we were when we were young kids but even as like a teenager being nervous to to have to be the one to call and order pizza over the phone like there for was sure about making that phone call and talking to an adult that was so scary so i cannot even imagine <laughs> that conversation and how you felt and also that poor man he was probably <laughs> he was too. i would describe him as bemused okay. <laughs> okay. i wonder if he got any other calls like that because I, I don't know it was like it was like cabbage patch kids for a minute there oh, it was yeah. so hot Every once in a while, there was a toy like that that would just yep. explode, and you wouldn't be able to find it. I'm not. Does that even happen these days? Maybe it does. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm a bit out of probably, touch. Probably, but not like that. I mean, yeah. it was. You know, we'll talk about Cabbage Patch Kids in an episode because that's very worthy of a whole discussion. But there, I mean, there were those moments where it would get you know violent with, with people trying to get these toys for their kids for Christmas or whatever it was. For sure. Crazy. Anyway, I still play with Transformers. I am I'm not I'm not I'm not ashamed. Okay. It's a lot of fun. So it's educational, okay? Sure. Even though spatial uh, intelligence. <laughs> even though I'm I'm damn near fifty years old, I'm still learning <laughs> <laughs> spatial you, relations. Do you let your son uh, play with your Transformers? Oh, I would love if my son would play with Transformers. Like E. T., he's not interested at all. <laughs> <laughs> he, all that crap from the 80s is just that crap. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, I think that's a good note to leave on. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Latchkey Kids this week. It has been a lot of fun talking about uh, E.T., the burning bed, Amy's traumatic experiences in childhood, some of them brought on by me. And Transformers and GoBots. I don't think they make GoBots anymore. Probably just as well. Amy, good to see you. Good to see you, as always. We'll have fun next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but it'll be fun. Yeah, well. All right. Thanks for joining us on the Latchkey Kids. Bye-bye, everybody. Say bye-bye. Say oh, bye-bye. <laughs> Yay. Next time. Yay. Okay. Okay.